Welcome to the Nursing Home Podcast, your go-to source for professional insights in the long-term care industry. Hear from leaders and experts as they share current and practical insights to help make the most of your day. I've been a long-term care financial specialist. What that means is I help people plan for the inevitable. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to think about getting old, but it's possible that someday we might need a little bit of care. Here's your host, nursing home administrator turned podcaster, Shmuel Septimus. We are again go- discussing the COVID vaccine. There's so much information about the COVID vaccine. People are scared of it. People are saying you absolutely must take it. You absolutely must not take it. And we are trying to get to the bottom of this and figure out what is the real deal with the COVID vaccine. We all know the impact that COVID has had on everybody, but specifically the seniors, the devastating uh, impact it's had on senior care facilities and seniors in general. And of course, we want to protect every member of our of society as much as possible. So today, we will really focus on the safety, the efficacy of the vaccine, and all things like that. For today, I would like to welcome to the show, Catherine Grube. Catherine is a consultant pharmacist working in the long-term care setting. She's been a pharmacist for eight years, working both the retail and the long-term care settings and was introduced by Sarah Osborne, the stable studio manager here in Boston, where where we are doing this live podcast. And I'm very happy to have you on the show. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you for having me. Yes, we're excited to have you. First of all, tell us how you got to doing what you're doing today, and then we'll get into the meat. Sure. So like, uh, like you said, I've been a pharmacist for eight years. I started working in the retail setting after I graduated college worked there for about five years. Then I transitioned over to long-term care on the dispensing side, working in the pharmacy, sending out medications to the home. And then I got into the consulting side, which is where we look at, we do chart reviews. So it's more clinical where we look at their, you know, their medication regimens and, you know, make recommendations for optimizing therapy. Got it. So you're, you came into the coffee meetings with your pie charts and told us what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. Exactly. That's what we do. (laughs) So that's who you are. You're the pharmacy consultant and you spend maybe one day a month or two months at the nurse's station doing stuff. Yep. (laughs) Digging through the charts and uh, looking for problems, things to fix, things to optimize, making sure they're monitoring appropriately, all that. Got it. And is that, is that what you're still currently doing? I'm sorry if I missed that. Yes. Yes, it is. Cool. So if you would be doing this in Massachusetts, were you ever working in Massachusetts? No, no, I'm not. I'm only in Rhode Island. Only Rhode Island? All right. So we didn't cross paths. (laughs) Could have. Okay. So let's go straight to this. So there are people saying seniors should not get vaccinated. Their seniors are at risk. There's so many contraindications, if I use that word correctly, or there's so many other things that are going on with them, introducing something that we barely know anything about into their bodies at this point can be a real challenge. Who knows what's in there? Who knows what what other effects it could have? What are your thoughts about that? Well, I mean, you think about it like the flu shot. We encourage seniors to get the flu shot every year because they're really the population that's the most at risk for the serious adverse consequences. So it's really you have to look at it as a, a risk versus benefit analysis. What is the risk of, you know, them getting the COVID 
vac- getting the COVID virus versus getting the vaccine. As we've seen with, you know, the trials and early rollouts of the vaccine, there's not that many, if any, serious side effects. I mean, there's the risk of anaphylaxis, which there's a risk of that with anything. But for the most part, the side effects are mild versus them getting the COVID virus and being actively infected. The, their risk is, is much, much higher to have a negative outcome, even death from the virus. So basically, whatever risk that they may have by introducing the vaccine into their bodies pales in comparison to the risk of getting COVID, which is very real. We've, we've seen it in the homes, the, the devastation that has occurred from the virus getting in there and infecting the population. So I, I think it's, it's very important to, to encourage the, the vaccine within the nursing home. Uh, are there seniors that you would say is that maybe certain ones should not take the vaccine for whatever reason? Or is it just everyone should get vaccinated in the story? I mean, you have to look at each person individually. If there is a risk, if they have a, a history of anaphylaxis, which is a serious um, allergic reaction. Okay, what is that specifically? So a serious allergic reaction would involve, you know, difficulty breathing, breaking out in hives all over. It could cause the throat to, to close, Something a, a reaction like that. If they... If, you have a history of those reactions to even something not COVID related, there is a slight increased risk of that reaction happening to the vaccine. So even in those instances, the recommendation is to still give the vaccine, but just to monitor the patient more closely and to have the treatments available in order to mm-hmm. treat the allergic reaction. Right now, the risk, this risk that, that you describe right now, is this a risk more with this vaccine versus the flu vaccine or anything else is for all vaccines? I think there's always a risk of anaphylaxis with any vaccine, especially if you've never had the vaccine before. You don't know if you're allergic to it. So you don't know if you're allergic to any of the components. They are seeing with this one that it's not necessarily related to the vaccine itself. It's just having that history of allergic reactions to anything. So it's a little bit different the vaccine, but as long as, you know, the medical professionals giving the vaccine are prepared, they can deal with it appropriately. So another point that people are concerned about is the speed at which this vaccine was developed. And we know that COVID is not even here in the United States for a year, and we already have a vaccine. Other vaccines have taken years or decades to develop until we actually have something we know that there are pl- there are studies. You just interviewed someone here yesterday. There are studies that are still ongoing as long-term side effects. Well, why is that not a reason to be concerned? Or is it a reason to be concerned? Well, the, the thing with the COVID vaccine is it's a different technology than the vaccines that we're used to. So it uses mRNA instead of traditional vaccine development where they take a portion of the virus and they incubate it and they develop the vaccine from there. That's why that takes so long. But mRNA uh, doesn't work like that. So it, it doesn't take as long to develop the vaccine. Okay. What is that to non-pharmacy people? What in the world does all that mean? <laughs> so, so basically with the flu, they take the virus and they culture it and they develop, you know, something to inject into your body that in, invokes the response, the immune response, which helps you to build the immunity to the virus. Whereas with the COVID, it's taking what's called a spike protein. So it's introduced into the body and the cell, the outer layer of the cell starts to develop. It shows like can develop that spike and then it can show 
the rest of the body and it, the cells then start to proliferate and to create that, that antibody. Okay, so I don't think I got it fully, but let's try this. So, I mean, a regular flu, just to simplify it, you're taking a little bit of a flu and injecting it into the, into the healthy patient so the body learns to develop the appropriate response to that so that if the real flu comes along, it's already the person's immune. But that part I got. As far as with COVID, so this is not, a, you're not injecting COVID into the healthy patient, right? You so what is it that you're doing? One more time, sorry. So see, I have a I have a chart here in front of me that kind of describes it. So it's it provides instructions for our cells to make a piece of the spike protein. The spike protein is found on the surface of the virus, but it's not actually the virus. So that's the portion of it. And it's given to, to the patient. And then the once the cell recognizes it, the cell inside the body starts to produce that spike protein, but it's not actually altering the cells at all. It's just introducing that portion that is also present on the coronavirus so that the body can start to develop an immunity to the virus without actually being exposed to the virus. So it's just basically like a little piece of it, but not the infectious portion of the virus, if that makes any sense. Kind of. Uh, so why wouldn't we do the? So the reason why we're not doing the actual virus is because that takes time to develop or that's the reason it takes a, it takes a lot of time and they wouldn't be able it would be years until they had a, a vaccine and they were trying to get i mean they had this mrna technology has been mm -hmm. around they started to develop vaccines towards sars with this but then funding ran dry so they never completed developing the vaccine for that so we already had the technology which is another reason why it could be sped along a little bit more got it now, why wouldn't we do this for every vaccine? Well, I mean, in, in general, right? You speak to the, the average guy in the street, which is me, and you, say, you know, we want to be immune to a certain sickness, no problem. Your concern is that you're going to get the flu. Here's the flu. So now you got it for sure. Now, that sounds crazy, but obviously the, the way it works, not obviously, but the basic way that it works is that, like you said, you know, you tr you're training your body how to react to, I guess, a more mild version of this so that um, when something real, a real threat comes, you're ready prepared. I guess like uh, combat training before the war, right? Yeah. Something like that, before you go into battle, some, something along those lines. But obviously there's, there's a challenge with doing that because you are injecting something, you know, something minor, but something, I don't know, something negative into your body. So with, and it takes forever to develop. So what we're saying, what you're saying, I think, is that with COVID, we didn't do that. A, it takes forever to develop that vaccine. And this can also be effective. So I guess my question is, and again, no, this is not really a topic. I'm just trying to wrap my head around this. So shouldn't every vaccine then be this type of vaccine that we're doing now, as opposed to the, the one that takes forever to develop and is injecting potentially a, a more moderate variation of the threat into our bodies? You know, I don't do the science behind the vaccine. Yeah, no problem. It's a completely valid point that, you know, something like that should be considered in the future. I'm not sure with different viruses if that capability is even there. There is because the, this, this, the coronavirus vaccine relies on that spike protein. I don't know if every virus has that spike protein. That's even, you know, a possibility. I'm not sure. 
not right, so I guess I guess really the question is, is this a brand new thing that was figured out? We're trying to create a COVID vaccine. When they started initially, they said, we have COVID, we need a vaccine. When they sat down, all these different companies, you know, Moderna and Pfizer and whichever other companies are busy trying to put out their vaccines. Initially, when they started their project, they say, oh my gosh, this is going to take us seven years. The world is in a bad, bad place right now. And hopefully, you know, this thing disappears because the vaccine is not going to get here in any reasonable amount of time. But then once they were in the lab, they all figured out that, hey, we have a shortcut here. We have a t- different type of method. Or initially, and again, I'm, this is not why you came on. I'm just, you know, you're educating me. You're the smarter one than me in the room. So, or that's not what happened. When, when they sat down, they knew that they, it wouldn't even make sense to begin if they had to do a traditional vaccine. But they knew that, that COVID was unique, that it had this protein spike or whatever that thing is and that we have an opportunity of combating the virus directly through that and that's what they set out to do initially like is this earth-shattering breaking news in the medical community that we have this new type of vaccine or is it no you know this is we knew this COVID you could always do this so I think in the medical research side, it's not earth shattering technology because it has been around the regular public it it would be it would be new because it was just in research before so you wouldn't necessarily hear that as part of the public because you're not involved in the in the research side of it but for those scientists involved in the research and development they would have been aware of this technology for a long time got it okay so the reason why it's important to know that is because for those who are concerned about the risks and about that we ran into this brand new thing and all of a sudden, we're, we're just doing this millions and millions of doses all over the world. People are, are injecting themselves with this, you know, brand new technology. You know, you wouldn't just get into a self-driving car and close your eyes just because the, they said it works, right? Because we're used to driving for years and years. We're, we're not going to let go so quickly. So I don't know if that's the best example. But the point is that if something was, like, developed so quickly, we, you know, we might have second thoughts about it. So the point is, so if viewers, listeners who are listening right now, and again, we had Dr. G on last episode, pretty much said something similar. This is not something that was rushed. This is not something that was done halfway. This is not something that's new. This is something that existed. And this is something that there's a tweak to it. There's, again, oversimplifying it. I'm not claiming to be the clinician here. But the fact that it was rushed is not a risk to the one who's taking the vaccine. That's I think that's very important for everyone to realize, and that they should be okay with injecting themselves with the vaccine. And the risk of the risk of taking the vaccine and whatever else, uh, whatever complications are much much lower than actually getting COVID. But let's 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 go right into that. So what about everyone's nervous about side effects? People are saying that since it's new which we just, you know, you just explained that maybe not as new as we think it is. What, you know, you never know six months down the road, every single person who took the Pfizer vaccine may end up with a third arm. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if you think about it, with any drug or vaccine that comes on the market, we don't know long-term efficacy. We don't know long-term adverse events that occur until they occur. So even, you know, a new drug that comes on the market, they they continue doing post-market surveying where they it's almost like a phase four trial where they have they keep an eye on long-term side effects that they maybe didn't 
know about when they did the original development of the drug. So mm -hmm. there, is, there is always a risk with any new drug, any new vaccine that comes to market, that there's going to be some long-term effect that wasn't seen in the development. So yes, there is a risk. I don't think there's a risk of developing a third arm, but <laughs> there is always a risk of, you know, something happening in the long-term that we don't know about. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. But based on best clinical practices that are used across all vaccines, all medications, there are systems in place that nothing is guaranteed, but there are systems in place that tell us when something is effective when something is dangerous and something is considered to be safe. And this meets the threshold of being considered safe, the ones that are approved, so that they don't have to be concerned about, about long-term long -term problems, even though, even though it's true, you can't prove it, which is something I've heard from a lot of people. Right now it's good and everyone's lining up and everybody's getting it. How do you know what's going to be in a year from now, in a month? two years from now, 10 years from now, the answer is nothing. You don't know. There's a lot of things that could happen in a year that are much greater risks than a side effect of the COVID vaccine that has gone through all the stages that are necessary to get it approved. But what are, what about the actual side effects, not the, our symptoms, whatever it's called, but when you take any vaccine, like are there any other types of side effects that are expected and normal? And what is the experience? Were you vaccinated, by the way? Yes, I got my first yeah. dose of the vaccine on Monday. So let's talk about that. Which which vaccine did you get? I got the Moderna. Get the Moderna, okay. And how did you get the vaccine? You, I'm considered. I'm in one of the first groups to get the vaccine because of my exposure in the long-term care facility. So I mm -hmm. went to a clinic and had the vaccine given to me there. And I, the only side effect I had was a sore arm for a couple of days. I never got a fever. I never had, you know, I wasn't tired, didn't get a headache, nothing like that. I just had a sore arm, you know, basically the same as getting the flu shot, just a mm -hmm. sore arm. There is, there are some people that do get, you know, fever, malaise, which is feeling extra tired. You can get a headache, you can get chills, but that's a normal immune response because your body is, it's your body's way of developing the immunity to the virus. So by your immune system kicking into gear, those side effects are completely normal. Mm. Like all good parents say, you know, if it hurts, it means it's working, right? Yeah. So. It's the same, same thing with the, with the flu shot. I mean, you can't get the virus from the vaccine, same mm. as you can't get the flu from the flu shot. It's just, it's flu-like symptoms, which is a normal immune response. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. So, so, but that is to be expected, right? So. If someone's going to take it, just like any other vaccine, this is something that they can have. Okay, so let's just, let's just get this straight in regards to the vaccines. So we're saying the vaccines, they pass the regular rigid tests. They are considered to be 100% safe. No, we don't know for sure what's going to be in the future. Mild, uh, low-grade fever, mild symptoms, body ache, not body ache, chills, things like that are normal for this and for any other, for any other vaccine. And, and hopefully, and it's been proven, to, you know, the efficacy has been great. Was there a story recently of one of the vaccines? I think I saw one of the vaccines where someone got COVID even after getting the vaccine. So they did. But the thing is, we don't know the incubation period when you get exposed to the virus. It varies. So he, I believe that person developed symptoms nine days after they got the vaccine. But the incubation period for the virus can be anywhere from three to 14 days. So 
what would have happened, he did not get COVID from the vaccine because that that it's not how it works. You can't get mm -hmm. COVID from the vaccine. So he would have been either exposed before he got the vaccine or right around the time that he got it. And it's important to note too that the first dose of the vaccine does not provide you all of the coverage. You need to go back and get the second dose for your body to do the full immunity because the first dose is basically it's priming priming your body for it and then you get the second dose and that's where the full response really kicks in so has there been anyone that you're aware of that that went through the whole system two doses they waited until everything was done and then they still got covid well they the vaccine just rolled out so there hasn't been enough time for the second dose because for the two vaccines that are out it's either 21 days or 28 days between the doses and they just started i believe it was last week is when they first started i don't know with the trials because the trials are blinded so the the people participating in it don't know if they got the vaccine or not so mm -hmm. that would be a separate a separate thing but in terms of the actual vaccine rolling out to the public they just started so there's 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 no evidence of that yet got it let's move to another subject i just see that we have some time and there's something that we spoke about through isolation for seniors is always a challenge isolation for anybody is a challenge solitary confinement was not a privilege it was a punishment so <laughs> So seniors in living in a, in, a, in a nursing home, in assisted living, in any other communal healthcare setting, living, and any other setting like that, with, even without COVID, is a very isolated experience. Of course, the providers do everything in their ability to try and bring in outside uh, entertainers, outside visitors, or whatever they can, or even, even uh, just engaging with each other. So that there can be some semblance of normalcy, right? We're social creatures and it's, it's not a luxury. It's a necessity for our mental health, spiritual health or health period. So with COVID and no visitors and, you know, very few people coming in and out of the building besides there are some brave souls like yourself. And thank you for that. What is, what have you seen? What are your thoughts on this? What have you seen? And maybe some possible solutions for other operators or seniors people who have loved ones at home by themselves. What are your thoughts on this? So, yeah, we definitely do see a difference, especially in the patients in these nursing homes that have dementia with the, you know, they already are confused and their whole routine has been thrown to the wind because their families, a lot of these families are in every day, visiting them, giving them a reminder that they're there. And then all of a sudden they're alone in a room. Mm -hmm. They have no, they have no idea why they can't, they can't comprehend why. I watched, you know, them, the nurses and the CNAs in the homes trying to convince people with dementia to wear a mask and they don't understand. They don't understand why they don't know how to wear it. It's, it's just, you know, seeing that and you do see a decline in people who are not engaged as much. So if they don't get the activities that they used to get, because, you know, they're, they're trying to keep their, their main goal right now is to keep these people safe and to keep them alive. And uh, being alive, like you said, being alive versus thriving, it's very different. And you do see a decline with the lack of activity. But these these homes have done a very good job at trying to, you know, change what they do to incorporate some sort of activity. So they're doing a lot of, you know, FaceTime with family so they can still see their family and talk to them. 
they do, you know, outdoor visits when it's allowed or window visits where they can talk to their, their family through the window. And that really helps. And the staff there, while they're getting burnt out and they for sure are getting burnt out, they've stepped up a lot to, you know, help our seniors, you know, through this crisis and, you know, not just survive, but attempt to thrive again. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, the challenge is, is huge that the, when you talk from a staffing standpoint, because ma many of these nurses and nurses aides have been pushed way beyond the limit pre-COVID. You know, in every facility across the country, you know, the compensation is so slim and profit margins are so slim if they exist at all. I know there are all sorts of stats of the amount of money a nursing home loses per day that it cares for a Medicaid patient, which is usually the bulk of their patients. So obviously the staffing is nothing close to what you would see in other healthcare settings and add to that, that they're working more shifts, you know, than usual, hopefully within the legal limits, but sometimes not because it's just a matter of life and death and, and all the extra stresses, these, you know, the nurses or the CNAs really, I really need to get some of them so that people should understand what it's really like the selflessness that they have and including yourself you know going there you know the, the the typical american citizen i would just talk from the, the perspective of our country right here you know most of many people most people i don't want to say general statements but lots of us are sitting at home working remotely you know doing zoom or whatever it is similar to what i'm doing right now um staying away from society possible the, the brave one in the family is making the trek out to the grocery. Sometimes the car doesn't need to be filled with gas because they're not going anywhere. You know, slippers are considered to be formal and it's, it's you know, it's a, a different life. Whereas the healthcare workers are not getting paid millions of dollars. A lot of them are getting paid similar wages to the people working in, you know, fast food chains and whatever else uh, they're doing. They're working themselves to the bone, physical labor. It's always challenging situation. The resources are limited and add to that, that they have to try and protect the residents from themselves. Like you just described, I'm just picturing the scene of trying to put a mask on a, on a resident with end stage dementia, who doesn't even, who barely even knows that you're there, let alone that you're trying to put on a mask. And what are the chances that that mask is staying on? And what happens if that person is positive with COVID as I'm sure has happened many, many times, and they're not going to stay in their room because they're physically able to move around and you can't lock them in their room. Well, what exactly are you doing? It's a very, very tough situation. It's not just the burnout is not just because they're working physically hard. It's very emotionally draining. You develop relationships with the residents, which usually is a good thing, except when they're taken out the back door, which has happened. Unfortunately, you know, happens all the time. I'm ranting here a little bit, but and I'm just I'm just reminded of scenes of when we lost residents, even just from a regular flu when everyone's vaccinated. Sometimes you can lose a number of residents in a regular winter, even if you did everything correctly, and you know trying to close all the doors and the resident you know gets whisked out so that they don't further decrease the morale in the building. And this is the environment, many times underappreciated. It's possible that their management is equally overwhelmed with their challenges and throw the media into the mix at Department of Public Health, holding you accountable for rules that were barely rolled out and barely understood and not based on 
again, they're doing the, hopefully they're doing the best that they can do also. But, you know, then CMS on top of that and giving conflicting requirements, which has happens all the time, especially now in COVID. I speak to any operators. I'm talking from the administrator level and up, but, you know, or should we do this or should we do that? And, you know, you're damned either way, right? So it, it's a problem. It, it's a real, real, real problem. And so my point of all this besides for trying to give everyone a little bit of a, an understanding of what it must be like is to understand that for the, the, the let's say an aide at, you know, eight o'clock at night that has already did a double and is on tomorrow for a double and has seen two residents go this week. And now there's one resident that's feeling a little lonely in her, you know, 14 residents that she's supposed to be caring for during that shift to take them a, a moment to try and help her connect with a family member through Zoom or FaceTime, or even to stop and talk to the resident for a minute before she's running to answer the other, you know, cobalt lights that are all being, you know, beeping and flashing. It it takes real selflessness. Selflessness. It takes, you know, this is the the from a Jewish standpoint, you know, there's something called a true kind kindness, and the only real the typical example is the respect that we show for someone who's already dead in the way we bury them and the way we talk about them and, and, and everything that we do. And the re reason why I give that example is because there's absolutely no ulterior motives in what you're doing other than genuine selfless caring and dedication without any idea, without any means or notion of getting anything back. This is very, very close to that, if not the same thing, especially if you're talking about a resident who has no family members, all right, end rant. <laughs> You're absolutely right. I see it. I see it in the homes with these nurses and these aides who genuinely, genuinely care about these people like their their family. And it's so it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking seeing what they go through and hearing what they go through. But I do appreciate every single one of them and all the hard work that they put in. So at least you do, because many of the residents sometimes don't or won't or can't you know, appreciate that sometimes the, the higher ups, you know, don't and, or won't or can't, you know, all the same thing. Uh, not that they don't realize it. Uh, and some of them do a good job at expressing it. But, you know, the healthcare heroes has become, I think the term has been abused a little bit. You know, everybody's a healthcare hero. And, you know, you went to, you went to the supermarket, so you're a healthcare hero because <laughs> you keep your family alive. And, you did, it's it's just been thrown around so much that we don't realize that there there are some people who are really giving up everything for this and and let alone a lot of these can be single parents going home to a, a small living quarter with other small children or older parents themselves you know it could be a sandwich generation where they're taking care of their parents or in-laws in their homes and they have small children and they're working another job and, they, and then they have to try to make sure that they're not bringing whatever they were exposed to into the house. Now, I'll add one more thing, the cultural difference. Many of the, our, our nurses or aides who are working in long-term care are not, you know, many of them are first-generation Americans. Uh, many of them, at least, yeah, many of them, it's just the way it is. And it's not like they share a common culture with the people that, that they are caring for. This is just coming from human is really love and concern and care, which is which is why they do it. They could they could literally. I, sometimes I would wonder, like, why are you doing this? You could work down the block, you know, at a McDonald's, and you can make the same money or pretty much the same thing, 
with very little risk. If you burn a hamburger, nobody goes to the emergency room, right? If you if you do it like the worst case scenario, maybe you you know you could lose your job. You're not you're extremely limited. Like why would you do this? And the answer only is because you know this is what they care. This is what's natural for them. Yikes. Okay, <laughs> I don't want to have it all there. I guess the point is for isolation. What else? So we've seen FaceTime, we've seen visits. Uh, anything unique that you've seen just in your going in and out of facilities? Anyone's done anything really interesting to deal with this problem? And then I see what's getting late. We have to wrap up. Um, I mean, I've seen a lot of the same. You know, these the Zoom meetings. They they do window visits with the residents. They do uh, different activities where they do. Oh, one thing is hallway bingo. They do sometimes where. If they're in a lockdown, they'll bring the residents to the doors of their rooms and they'll play bingo in the hallway so they can still, you know, see each other and play, mm -hmm. but they're still, you know, safely separated from each other. Something like that has been really neat to see. Wow. Well, fantastic. Well, Catherine, thank you very much for coming on the Nursing Home Podcast. Thank you for what you're doing. You are, you're definitely earned the title healthcare, healthcare hero, really going in and coming out and going facility to facility doing what you're doing. So thank you for that. Thank you for the information about the vaccine and also understanding the setting and the environment in which, you know, in which our seniors, are, some of our seniors are living. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners before we let you go today? Thank you so much for having me. Just if, if you can spare, if you have any donations you can bring to nursing homes, whether it's activities, extra tablets you have at home so they can use these for the FaceTimes, you know, anything that can lift the resident's spirits will really help. Anything like that. I, they would appreciate it, and I would appreciate any any kind thoughts and donations you have for these facilities. Okay. So, amazing. So, if you're thinking, what can I do? Assuming you're listening to our conversation, and you're moved. And you're like, wow, look what these people are doing. I'm sitting at home binge-watching Netflix, and you have people in here who are risking their lives. And that's probably where you should be. But you want to know how can you get involved, call your local nursing home, call your local assisted living facility and tell them, what do you need? What can we bring you? Maybe they'll say a round of Dunkin' Donuts for the staff. Maybe they'll say we need, you know, a tablet. Maybe they'll say even just come by, you know, with your family and knock on the window to a couple of rooms. Maybe write some get well cards or just thinking of you. These are small things that don't have to cost you anything other than a little time and a little caring. And they can go a very long way. Well, thank you, Catherine. That was a very interesting uh, suggestion. Not expecting that, but we had someone on the podcast who has done this with his family, Eric Carter. We give a shout out to him. His wife actually started this with her kids, and they were writing cards to their local nursing home. But then they decided there's an app, the neighbor next door. I forgot what it's called. Uh, there's an app which connects neighborhoods with each other. I'm sure someone, maybe one of the listeners will know. And she just posted, this is what I'm doing. She left a box outside for other people to participate. She's got well over a thousand cards that she went afterwards and delivered it, you know, to the local nursing home. And obviously they were ecstatic with it. So these are little small things that, you know, instead of just saying we can't do anything, there's what we can do. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you for having me. Now that you've enjoyed this episode of the Nursing Home Podcast, I'd really appreciate if you'd rate this podcast and let everyone else know what an amazing resource this is for those wanting to learn anything and everything about the nursing home industry. 
So head on over to ratethispodcast.com slash nursinghome. Again, ratethispodcast.com slash nursinghome. Leave me a review and let the world know what an amazing show this truly is. Thank you so much for listening and make sure to stay tuned and subscribe so you don't miss any other episodes.